Hello and welcome to Dear Patriarchy Podcast. This is the Gaslit Women's Guide to Conquering the Corporate World. We are two sisters. We're armed with facts and statistics and we're destigmatizing the plight of the working woman and also non-binary peeps who identify as women and pretty much anybody that's been marginalized within the environment of the working world or the wider world, really. My name is Lisa. I'm Jennifer. Hi. Here we are. Okay, so... Last week on our What's Good segment, I suggested that I just kind of sung the praises of Bong Appetit um, with Abdullah Sayed, which I still do, um, but I would say I only co-sign on seasons one and two. Okay. On seasons three, they had a staffing change because Abdullah Sayed left Vice. Oh. Um, because they had a bunch, they had a barrage of sexual assault uh, shit. And he found out that when people, they were making women sign these waivers saying, if you participate in these shows, like you're, you may have some, so sorry, I don't know the right terminal, the correct terminology. So this is like, I am, I'm summarizing here from memory, but basically they said you might have, like you might be in some situations that might be, be uncomfortable. They put the sexual assault or the sexual harassment stuff, like kind of the apo- like apologist language. And like, you are going to do this and you might have to be around salacious behavior. Oh my God. And he was like, no, nope. what I'm doing is yeah. educating people about marijuana. And it has nothing to do with people putting people in a bad situation. So he just took his Wow. Name. Okay. Which, which makes it even better. But the funny thing is, funny thing is the only person that stayed from the show was the woman. And so that she's kind of like the headliner now, like moving forward. But it's just an interesting stance that he would have such a strong reaction to that. And then it would be a woman that stayed here. Look, the patriarchy manifests did. itself in a lot of different ways. But also women stay in shitty situations. Oh, honey. They don't have a choice professionally sometimes. Tell me again. Tell me again. So you tell me. You tell me that tell again. You, sometimes ladies stay. <laughs> you tell me it one more time. keep their lady parts in a place that's not uh, a good place for their lady parts. 100%. So. Protect your lady parts. And also, like if a... I just have to say, like, just as a... <laughs> A general PSA, if a man can see that a situation is shitty and is leaving because it doesn't protect women, women shouldn't stay. (laughs) Yeah, like you need to go. You need to go. And that is kind of the end of that. I should say as well, I think, I know I definitely said it the first time we did the what's good thing, but it is a blatant ripoff of the Good Place podcast. They do a section called what's good at the end of each oh, episode. Well, then we can't call it what's good. So what are we going to call it? We'll just call it what it is. It's what's good. We're not in direct competition with the podcast. And besides the podcast, it doesn't run anymore. But also like, it's a genuinely good thing to say at the end of conversations that can be quite heavy and can be quite sad and hard to discuss that you say, look, like we're going to end it. debilitating. We're going to, yeah, we're going to end it on what's good. Like things that, yeah. that bring us joy and make I us that. happy. But I appreciate you calling that out. I did it on the first one. I didn't do it on the last one. And so and now I just want to make sure. Good. That feels like a good cadence to me. Thank you. I like that cadence as well. So I've been... Uh, did you have any other housekeeping? Are we good? Nope. Um, we're, we're at war. Yeah. The, the world is at war and people are dying. And my husband is Ukrainian. And so this hits pretty close to home. 
Um, thankfully, his family is out, but we have close friends who have relatives there, and it's sad and it's scary, and um, it seems like it's going to keep getting worse until it gets better. Before it gets better, so. And I know that we've put we put a lot of stuff in our stories anyway, and we did a post on it. And there are loads of resources that we can add into our link tree that we know to be good. But one of the things that we are going to keep like putting in our stories is is definitely the fact that while this humanitarian crisis is going on, the inherent white centric European mindset is very much at play. So there's a lot of conversations about how these, these refugees are more palatable because they're civilized, they're, you know, English speaking, white skinned. I mean, I think the Bulgarian prime minister said these are, these are not terrible people. These have, these people have white skin and blonde hair, you know, do you know what I mean? And then there was the other guy who was on like CNN or CBS. I can't remember. CNN said these are people basically saying these are not people who deserve to be put in a situation of where they're displaced, violently displaced, you know, and the fact that the huge amount, I think it's something like 16,000 African students in the Ukraine are not able to leave or they're they're being pushed off trains and things like that. Like, I think that the thing that people forget sometimes is the duality of all situations. They can be like, just as a person, as all people have good and bad in them, all situations have good and bad in them. So while we big up the Ukrainians because they are doing like the most incredible job of trying to retain their national, well, just retain their, their homeland and, and their sense of pride in their country is something that I think feels really alien as an American, because I have no pride <laughs> in being an American. I'm embarrassed most of the time. And just to see these people who take up these, you know, old 78-year-old women with AK-47s, and they've, you know, lived through one world war, and now they're going through another one, you know, and they're so bold and so brave. And they, I do they have a choice? I don't know. But like, they're there and they're staying and they're fighting and but at the same time there's a there is without taking away from that bravery there is a very serious problem of racism in ukraine yeah you know so let's yeah i just i guess i just want to say that you can you can still talk about the world in a real way while still supporting 100 percent the people that are there you know yeah and so one of the things i think i, I want to thank you for bringing that up because i have had a, a break from the news. Uh, yeah. I am, I'm out of the country um, for a friend's wedding. And Dima um, and Alyssa, if you're listening, congratulations. We love you. Congratulations. Um, so it's interesting to hear that vein of things because I hadn't read that yet. But also, so one of the things I know people are doing to kind of help Ukrainians is uh, renting. Airplanes. Yes. Yes, um, I was going to yeah. do that as my what's good, but that's fine. Oh, I got I got loads so of other sorry. what's goods. No, 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 no. I Let's talk about it now because it's pertinent. It's relevant. Yeah, so like one of the things people are doing is going on Airbnb and like renting homes in the Ukraine with no, like, no stay there. Yeah. But it's actually getting, um, and I believe Airbnb has waived their fees. Yeah, for um, you for Ukrainian properties, yes. yes. So you your money, if you want to give to real people in a real way, yeah, and um, that's one way to do it, where your money will actually go into the hands of people. yes. So, so what the just the guidelines on that that I've read that I've seen is try and pick a date as close to today's day as possible, so that the money actually goes through right away. Try and pick uh, flats or apartments that are in cities. So obviously, 
Kiv and uh, I think Kharkiv, Odessa, yeah. I think is the seaside city of Maripol. So like Mm -hmm. try not to do one that's like out in the outskirts because the people that are the most effective are usually going to be the people that had places in the actual cities where um, that are being bombed. The fighting is taking place, yeah. Yes. And then also you have to send a message, obviously, to the owner and say, I will not be coming this money is for you, just so they know. They're not, like, expecting you to rock up with, like, a sleeping bag and a backpack. But, yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we ready? I've been thinking, like, I wanted to think more... There there was a point in the podcast which Lisa beautifully edited out last week. Skills. Uh, where I kind of tripped over my own self. You got in your own way. You thought you were losing your train of thought, and you absolutely weren't. Well, I accidentally bong appetited myself, and it was like a tiny bit too much. But, oh, um, I can never tell. There was a there. We, I was talking about the transition of when, like, I went from a secretarial to like more of a went from a secretary role into uh, a management role. What the dress change was, and how I felt like sometimes if I dressed more conservatively or dressed in a different way, it felt like people would take me more seriously. Um, and so what I wanted to talk about was like, you no, know, one thing that women have that men typically are less familiar with, like using se- using sexuality as power. Okay. And I think that, that there's a very interesting dynamic there. And I really actually would love to have a conversation with you about it, like your thoughts about using sexuality as like using your sexuality in a powerful way. And then there's like kind of that like fine line of like how I'm just going to be as blunt and as brass as possible because that's the only way I know how to put this. But like using spit it out, like using your feminine <laughs> wiles to kind of get what you want. I feel like in like the patriarchal misogynistic culture, like that is obviously like women are objectified, so that's the only reason that they're able to use their sexuality as power. Okay, but then like I think that most women know that it is an effective tool to get what you want sometimes. Yes. Or maybe some women do. It's very frowned upon. Like, it's very much, like, not something that we talk about, right? Because, like, I don't know. There's just, like, so many. And then, like, oh, she's just a slut. She just slept her way to the top. Which, obviously. No, and so there's so much to that, right? Yeah, 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 But I just feel like, I feel like when I was in a certain part of my career, there were certain times when I felt like if I dressed in a more feminine suggestive that's not the right word but in like more in if i dressed sexier it made my job easier okay and clearly i was in a in retrospect i realized i was being objectified but i felt empowered by looking a certain way that propelled men to act a certain way okay and when i tried to talk about it last time i was so overcome by shame that i couldn't continue my thought yeah because we are taught to be ashamed of our bodies and ashamed of our sexuality because that keeps us out of that keeps us from having to from claiming the power that is innately ours as beautiful powerful sexual women but we're not allowed to be that right like within the patriarchal misogynistic foundational like cage that we've been placed in you're allowed to be that what you're not allowed to do is hold the power in the situation. You're allowed to be beautiful and curvy and have a wonderful body and be objectified. You're not allowed to own that power and hold that power and not release it to a man. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to be 
in control. You're supposed to be controlled. I mean, that's what the patriarchy wants, right? 100%. But there is power in that. In the sexualization of the self? Well, sexual power is power. Like, there is a... But we're taught to be ashamed of that. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you see it as young as when, like, girls, teenagers um, in class are told, you know, you can't have bra straps showing. You can't have this... You can have spaghetti straps. I, I shouldn't be able to see your bra strap. You know, I shouldn't know that you have boobs. Like, you should be totally asexual until it's the right time. So if you show even, like, a hint of anything womanly about you, sexual about you, it's something that drives men wild, drives boys wild, and you are then at fault for driving these boys and these men to act in ways which are inappropriate. To act yeah, in ways from a very young age that we need the male attention and we need to favor the male gaze. Yeah, that's what's going to get us to that part of the fairy tale, which we start force feeding to gr- little girls from a very young age. A hundred percent. So, like, you're taught that you want the male gaze, but then when you get the male gaze, it's scary because yeah. there's like something more there. Yeah. And. But then you also are taught to be ashamed of attracting the male gaze, which you should want because otherwise you're not going to be like a proper wife. You're not attractive if you aren't favored by the male gaze. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I mean, this is... And I also feel like within the corporate structure, like you're supposed to not be a woman, but then also you have to be a woman. Like you have to act like a woman otherwise because like anything too male or aggressive or any of the, the, or drive or leadership, like you're penalized for being hyper-masculine, but you're also penalized if you're, I mean, I'm not saying that those, I don't agree that those, finger quotation marks, I don't agree that those qualities are inherently male. We just assign them male characteristics, right? So. Yeah. Within the construct of the gender binary, we, we consider those to be male. You're either male or you're female, and you're nothing in between. So you're either showing things that align with the gender binary or you're not. I just have to say there's a lot in what you're saying. So, like, it's not, I don't think it's something that we can, like, trace the roots down in one single episode because it's a really big conversation. But it's, it's a lot of what we use to disqualify women. Yes, there's a lot going on there, though. What I'd say is when... No, 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 no. You don't have to stop talking, but there's a couple of different things that have come up. So there's... When we say we, are we talking about men? Are we talking about women? Are we talking about women and men? The way that they dis... I think there's something very different in the way that women disqualify and discredit other women for looking a certain way. That is very patriarchal. Everything we're talking about is patriarchal, but it comes back to this idea that... Other women are your competitors. They're your enemies. They're not your allies. They're not a safe place. And because there's only, especially in the corporate workplace, there's only so many seats at the table for women. This is what we get told, right? Mm -hmm. There's only so many seats at the table. There's only so many women-shaped seats at the table. (laughs) There's like an infinite amount. Penises can go on Of penis seats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vagina seats are are really... Very special. I mean, going past the fact that you don't have to have a vagina to be a woman and you don't have to have a penis to be a man, but I just throw that one in there. But like... But in the patriarchal structure... You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Like gender binary, 100%. And I get that. So that's a good... That's a good clip clap to my tip tap. (laughs) So we get fed this lie as women that says, there's only so many seats for you and you got to fight 
anybody who wants your seat. Sit at the table, says Cheryl Sandberg. She says, sit at the table. She says, don't leave till you're actually leaving. She's, you know, she tells you all these things, which puts you into this hyper, I don't want to call it hyper masculine, but it's hyper attentive. Like your entire being is absorbed by your workplace, by your, by your world. You are responsible for this. Oh, yeah. It doesn't acknowledge. It doesn't acknowledge all the hurdles that are in your way of sitting at that table. Because if they don't want you at the table, you're not at that table. 100%. They they don't want you to leave until it's time. They'll nurture you and make sure that you stay and make sure that you're a valued part of the team. But a lot of women get fucking phased out of companies when they have children, have time constraints, have other familial or care responsibilities. Hey, look, I got another anecdote for you. This one only just came up last week, so it's fresh. I am running a big project. It is a the biggest one, I think, in my unit, or the second biggest one in my unit. It's a big project. Yeah. And so the design manager is a woman, and the commercial lead is a woman. Now, that doesn't ever happen, and it's very special. The commercial lead, so I'm going to call her commercial manager... Can we give her a name? Like, it doesn't have to be a real one. Well, her name's Nerali. Okay. I would say as well that she and the design manager are both women of color. And I can tell you that in definitely our company, they are breaking the mold in like so many ways. A lot, good. a lot, a good, lot. Good, good, good. But what I was going to say was Nerali went in for her review. And she has two kids. She's got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And she has those kids in nursery from 7.30 in the morning till 6 at night. Mm. She works three days a week. So Mondays and Fridays, she's off. But she still answers emails. She still gets on meetings. (laughs) You know, not much, but she does do it. She does break her own rules. And she just had her review, which I think must have been the first review since she came back from maternity leave. And... Our two bosses, our commercial director and our operations director, who are two very nice guys, and they were the two people that hired me and offered me flexibility and, you know, said it would be fine. And they said to her, because she wants to go up a level, and she's not afraid to ask for what she wants. She she reckons that she's running big projects, so she deserves a raise, and she deserves right. a title change. Because a man in that role would get those. Well, because two men did get that. Two mm-hmm. men that were on par with her did get that. And they said to her, you're a little bit behind, Nerali. <gasps> you're a little bit behind because you you pulled the handbrake on your career. We just promoted two guys up because they haven't had time off, and you have. First I of all, can't. I feel like that's super illegal. <laughs> when, that, was my, that was my first question, because aren't you guys really super-duper protected over there? I think so. And she is super hurt. And, and she should be. She feels like she's been, like, she's like just someone's done a dirty on her, because they have. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. can guarantee that when she went on maternity leave and when she came back, no one said to her, oh, by the way, Nerali, like, these choices that you're making, they're really going to impact your career outcome. Because they can't, because it's illegal, because this is bullshit. It's pretty sad. But the reason why I said that was because as women are, we know that there's a motherhood penalty. For women who choose to have children, there's a motherhood penalty. We also know that there is wage inequality. So we've got the gender pay gap. And, you know, we can talk about things getting better and, and isn't life so much easier than it used to be. And I know we've said this before, but 
in a lot of ways, life really hasn't changed all that much. And women are still being given false promises of, you know, like, I mean, I don't foresee myself like hanging around for a really long time. But if I was there, I mean, she's been at the company, by the way, for six years, seven years. Mm-hmm. So she's been loyal to them. So loyal. Her ass off for them. Done huge jobs for them. Mm-hmm. Made them money on a similar size job that no one thought they were going to make money on. And she she killed it basically. Mm-hmm. And so her loyalty is re- repaid with a bullshit sentiment that is not the truth. No, no. They gave her the truth. The truth is she pulled the handbrake on her career. The problem is but nothing they were not... A year. How long did she take off? <laughs> not long. Not long because she's been of back course. at work. She's because been back at work for a while. nothing changes in the corporate world. It's a dumb slog. Yeah. So... They're not like at the forefront of creating like some sort of like crazy digital experience. You're doing the same shit they did in the fucking 20s. You guys are doing construction. It is true, actually. Construction as an industry has no technological advances in it because it uses mostly operative labor, which you can't, which you can't automate. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could, can you imagine like a bunch of robots like that? What was that robot movie from the eighties? Love that one. Five. No, five alive. Johnny five is alive. Oh, short circuit. (laughs) Short circuit. Can you imagine a bunch of those ones putting a wall up? They literally like are testing them to make hamburgers right now. Like, I love Seriously. it. Okay, anyway, go ahead. So they were really honest with her in saying that she pumped the brakes. She she pulled the handbrake on her on her career, which is uh, AKA the emergency brake. But they weren't honest with her before she left. They weren't honest with her when she made those family decisions. Would she still have made them? Probably. Probably. Oh, is- but she should have known. She should have been told. She shouldn't have been lulled into a false sense of security that because these men that hired her and and promised security and flexibility and whatever she needed will work around you don't worry Nirali will work around you but then when you come back you realize oh right okay like they trust her enough to put her on one of the biggest jobs in the company but they don't trust her enough to give her a promotion but i don't think that's it i think that they realize that with these guys if they didn't promote them and give them money then they would go they don't think she's gonna go Maybe. I think that's a different it's conversation. Loyalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loyalty is a scary thing. Because yeah. they know they can say that shit to you and put the fear of God in you. Oh, she's not afraid. She's just fucking pissed off. No, and but that's great. And so she should go. Like, thank you. Thank you for letting me know you don't value me. After six years, I'm moving onward and upward. No. Nah. The thing is, you can't, like, so offering maternity leave with one hand and then slapping you on the back of the head as you take it? Like, yep. come on. How dare you? Here you go. Don't offer maternity leave then. Because if that's not, like. No, 100%. First of all, like, 100%, they're breaking the rule, the law. I this think so. the law. She has a case. Yeah, I think so. She needs to find a good solicitor and take them to court. Anyway, so there's that. But I, I, I think we we kind of went off piece a little bit. But what, the reason why I was saying that, um, to harken back to it, is just the corporate world for women is a dangerous place, and it's a scary still, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah still. To this day, like things really haven't changed all that much. No, they haven't. They're just a little bit, perhaps, are more subversive now. Like they were out in the open and more in the beginning, and now they're just more subversive. Which is why we have these conversations, which is why we which is why we love this work that we do, because we know that so many people are in the corporate world going, wait a second, am I fucking crazy? Like, this doesn't seem right. No, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. Like, this is real. 
Now, how does that tie back in with like the male gaze and sexuality? So the male gaze is a really interesting one for me. So I was not 100%. I think I always knew about what it felt like that there's a different way to be attractive to men than there is like just to be attractive, like to know that you look good. Mm -hmm. They don't always match, you know? So you get this idea of the male gaze that tells you uh, you need to be very skinny, but have a big butt, but have big boobs, and, like, that kind of body shape that is sort of uh, almost entirely unachievable without major surgery. It's like a caric- caricature of a Yeah, person. it's a caricature of a person. Mm-hmm. And then I happened across uh, The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, which I would mm. recommend, like, all day long. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about the processes of the male gaze and how when you are really stuck in it, when you as a woman are really stuck in that male gaze and obtaining that male gaze and satisfying that male gaze, you will never look external. Like, so you'll never be present in like, I don't know. I can, I always think of the Kardashians when I think of the male gaze mm-hmm. because yes, their, yes, yes. their worlds are, they're, they're adhering to the statutes of the male gaze. All of them. They, do not really, I mean, I know that Kim Kardashian is doing some great work with prison system or she's lobbying for changes to be made within the prison industrial complex. And I think that's fantastic. But in general, they very much live in a bubble and promote this bubble-like life of being obsessed with the way that you look, being obsessed with the adherence to the male gaze itself. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's that's what I was going to say. They're, they're the best example for me of the male gaze because when I look at them, I see I see them drowning in it, and and you see what the male gaze does to you because they had a couple of different breakdowns. Chloe did, or someone did. Yeah, Chloe about those pictures being released. Mm-hmm. Did we talk yeah. about this before? Uh, yeah, I think we did. Yes. Okay, but it was just Recently, it's too. just absolutely losing her mind about those pictures going out, and it was like mm-hmm. she looked fantastic. But not, you know. Well, so it's funny that you bring them up. Okay. Because I really wanted to talk about plastic surgery and feminism. Okay. And I didn't know how to, like, shoehorn it in, but this is, like, the perfect. Well, here you, you know, are. Like the, Here's your horn. The poster Take a shoe. Plastic surgery. And this, they are. And not being ashamed of it. Like, they fucking own it. Yes, we've had work done. Look at us. Mm. So I was, I've been thinking about that because there's... You know, there are certain things that I think that I would like to have done. And um, and I really started to wonder, like, so I want these things done, but, like, why can't, why, why, do why I can them? I not just, like, get, why why do I need to get cut up? Like, who, what am I trying to adhere to? Like, what yeah. mm-hmm. is the thing that I want to look like? In my mind, I mean, I can rationalize it out and say, no, I just want to be comfortable. And these are things that are not just aesthetic for me. It's like a health choice okay Um, but at the same time like is it and also it's just it's just an interesting like as feminists we want everyone to be equal we want us like my thoughts of feminism and beauty standards because like if we are adhering to a beauty standard are we are all beauty standards and body standards inherently like tied to the patriarchy and misogyny are they all tied to the male gaze right hmm that's a really big question. 
<laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm just mushroom clouding you today. It's no, just... I think it's a great thing to think because I... you don't find that many. I know that there are a couple of, so on the African continent, there are a couple of countries with specific, more matriarchal structures. I'd be more willing to bet I can think of one in particular where the young men, they get all painted up and they do this dance for the women. And I can't remember the name of that tribe or that area, even the country where it is in Africa. So I'll need to come back to that. But I'd say that the the beauty standards in an area or a culture that are more matriarchal, I would think have less of the male gaze to do with them. But I couldn't be sure. And I think the idea that there is ever one all-encompassing beauty standard is like, and you didn't say this, you said all beauty standards. So you're recognizing that there's loads of them. But I think that- Can I pause you? Yeah. Would Da'abe men perform the ritual dance as part of the Gera wall? Yes. How did you find that so quick? I just Googled matriarchal tribe, matriarchal tribe men dance for women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Sorry, oh, awesome. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the, if you want to learn more about it. Cause I remember reading it and being like, wow, like I still, I think you, whenever you learn something about a culture from afar, sometimes it's better like go and see it, but then like, you don't know how, I don't know. It's very strange. You're reading about someone's opinion. Cause, cause everything that's written is taken from, it's, it runs through someone's subconscious, doesn't it? They're writing it in such a way that it's always tainted with the flavor of the writer. No matter how you try and wash it off, it still has that. So you never know how completely neutral and down the middle it is. But I remember being really taken by that. And I think from an idea of beauty standards, that's very interesting. In a matriarchal culture, are the beauty standards lacking the male gaze? That would be amazing. That would be an amazing thing to understand. But what I wanted to just go back and say was you recognize that there's more than one beauty standard. But there seems to be a really weird... It's not really weird. It's part of racism, anyway, who says that there's one all-encompassing beauty standard of what we find beautiful, and that is deeply white-centric, Eurocentric, and racist. So I just want to throw that one out there. Um, But when we... When we look around the world and we see the different ways, don't you find it interesting that when we talk about beauty standards, we're only ever looking at women? Like we don't really care about men. No, we, I mean we don't really evidenced by the dad bod. <laughs> yeah. We don't really like when we if if people put together like slides of like beauty standards from around the world, it's always women. We care a lot about the way women look. We care a lot about the way women present themselves. We care a lot if women are too loud. We care a lot if women are too opinionated. We care a lot if women are too courageous. Mm. If they're too proud of themselves. If they're oh, feeling if they're mad. feeling themselves, you know, when a woman is feeling herself, people are like, "Ooh, watch out before you fall." Like, so yeah, that's like that's a super big question. I think it might be something we have to do more research on because I just don't know. And as far as plastic surgery, man, I just look at it like I don't care what people do. I don't care what anybody does. If it makes them happy, then great, but why are you doing it is the perfect question. Why are you doing it? Is it for you? Great. But is it for you 
so that you can fit into the male gaze? Is it for you so that you fit some kind of beauty standard that you feel that you're being held up to and you're not meeting? Mm -hmm. Look, I do not like my boobs. I wish that they were much smaller. And as I get older, my boobs are getting bigger no matter how much I work out. It's grim. It's not a good thing. If I could... I would cut them bad boys off because it would make me feel so much more comfortable in my body. So for me, I know that that decision, if I ever make that decision, like if it just all gets too much (laughs) and I go up another bra size and I want to kill someone, I'll make that decision with like the most open-hearted, unmale gazy. Is that such a word? Yeah, because it's for you. It's for me. And it goes against, I mean, I don't know though, but then I talk about going against a beauty standard, but like big boobs kind of aren't like a beauty standard, are they? You know, when you buy clothes and you have boobs that are bigger. They're a male gaze standard, not a... There, yeah, but then you get like from a fashion standard, it can be really hard to find clothes that fit around big boobs. Like it's not really designed. Clothes, a lot of clothes are not really designed for it. I mean, there was an incident over here um, with a newscaster named Ranveer Singh, and she is a beautiful woman. She dresses so nicely. We like when she's on TV, she's a newscaster, she looks incredible. And she happened, like this last week, she happened to go on air. And she's wearing a magenta wrap dress. And it's pinned, but she's got big boobs. She must have like double D's, E's, something like that. And there were a huge amount of complaints against her. Because number one, she's a woman of color. So we're policing her body doubly, right? Because we've got the intersection of race and misogyny. Yeah. So the misogynoir. And she's a woman who is bold and outspoken and, well, outspoken in quotes. She's just a woman who speaks. And so... There we go. But we even got comments, which I've deleted, on our page oh, about Ran this morning, and I was wondering about the about yeah bad. about her. Like some man is coming to say that she should be ashamed of her body, which is naturally curvaceous. Which if you've never had boobs, like you don't get how hard it is to hide them. They are friggin' hard to hide. Unless you wear a tent around your neck, like a reverse dog cone. You know, like what what are you supposed to do with your body? And you know what? She's not afraid of her body. She's proud of her body. And this man was going on like saying that if men dress like that, men only can wear a suit and tie. And what she was wearing was the equivalent of a man having a shirt unbuttoned down to his belly button, which like you can maybe see like a centimeter of of cleavage, if that. And also like who set the standard for men having to wear a suit and tie? Men did. Women didn't ask for that. Men want to complain about these standards and how women get to wear a summer dress and men always have to wear a suit and tie. So change it then. Don't wear it. I don't, I don't understand. Um, so yeah, that was a big long loop around plastic surgery, but just made me think about yeah. that. I feel but- like if we want to revisit this, we can later. Okay. What do you think? you think we're at a good stopping place? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you want to say anything else? No, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually like, I'm so happy that we had this conversation because I've wondered how you felt about it. I mean, I'm not surprised by any of your answers. It's just when you kind of start going deeper into these things and kind of as you question, as you question why you do things the way you do or feel compelled or stressed or anxious about things, um, and you kind of start to peel back all the layers of mm. where, what ideas and what kind of like conditioning posited that thought into your mind. Yeah. It's just an interesting thought. And it, I really, it just really got the wheels turning with the, you know, the marriage you've lived conversation. Yes. So, and then I really was interested in why I felt so much shame. 
Yeah. yeah. But we kind of didn't get into, but we can. But the thing about your feeling shame is because women are raised to feel shame about sex anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. And especially yeah. for us, we got the double whammy of being raised in a super religious household. And man, the Christian religion really does your freaking head in over women being sexual and, you know, just being a painted Jezebel and all that kind of thing. So... Mm-hmm. You know, you got, there's a lot going on there. And if you're in a situation where you feel totally stripped of power, if you find one outlet where you can get like garner some power for yourself, you're going to do it. So there isn't any shame in that. What the shame is, is the construct of the system that forces you to have only one outlet and not several, you know? Yeah. Which is a whole other can of worms. Tis. T-I-S. Tis. Oh my goodness. Super tis. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about what you think is good? Yeah, I stole yours. No, I got loads. <laughs> What's your one? Why don't you go ahead and go? What do you think? Okay, so I really love watching cooking shows, and this is not another bong appetite. Um I love watching cooking shows and I am more and more often surprised. And delighted to find that cooking shows, especially when they're talking about cooking shows that are specific to a country or culture, um, they tend to revolve around women's experiences and women's upholding of that culture. So imagine my shock, awe, delight, and amazement when I started watching a show randomly on Netflix called Street Food Latin America. Mm -hmm. And... I think it must be eight or nine different episodes all around um, different Latin American countries. And they are within a certain town of a country. Um, like they go to Oaxaca in Mexico, which is amazing. And um, they center around one main woman. She's usually in her 50s, 60s, 70s. And they tell her story. Um, while also talking about the food, they tell her story through the food. They tell her story about how she came to where she is. She usually works in a food stall or within a food market or something. But whatever she does, she does it so well. She's made this niche for herself that like all the famous local chefs and stuff like come and eat there all the time because her food's so good. Um, and, and, um, they. Hold on. Hold oh, on. Then. Okay. Okay, go ahead. No, there's just like a really loud clanking car going by, and I didn't want you to lose anything. No, no, that's okay. okay so, um, go. no, so the, the, the thing that was so amazing to me is that each episode, um, shows these women's, this, these, these women's struggles to get to where they are. Usually they come from extreme poverty, or they had some kind of a, um, like a, dis- uh, they were displaced people or something like that. And these women are not rescued by men. These women rescue themselves, they rescue their families, they uphold Mm. the culture, and they uphold the specific food culture of their area, of their heritage, and they do it in a beautiful way. And I just, I watch each one, and it just blows me away, because Netflix has chosen to focus on women. So one is Latin America, and then there's another one in Asia that I just found, and it does the exact same thing. These are not white-centric, Eurocentric stories of how women get saved by men and go on to do great things. These are women in general, mostly, like having to really overcome huge obstacles and have created a life for themselves that is beautiful and fulfilling and special and I just found, I find it so amazing. And it is very, very, so, very good. That's so great. 
I love that. And I will definitely check it out. I've seen it come through my feed, but I had no idea. You would never know that's what it's about. It, it gives you no details like that. You just think it's a cooking show. And I was missing, I was having a real Mexican food craving and I was like, I just want to watch someone make some good Mexican food. Funny you should say that I'm in Mexico. Yeah. But I'm in a all-inclusive resort and the Mexican food here is terrible. Oh, it's that's like, a real shame. Especially because that area that you're in is like a real hotbed for incredible food. I know. I just would have to go outside of the gates. Okay. Well, what's your What's your good, good one? Oh gosh, what's good? So I haven't listened to the past couple episodes of their podcast, but there's a political podcast I love called Hysteria, and it's political commentator and comedy writer Aaron Ryan and former White House Deputy Chief of Staff Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa was part of President of Obama's team. Yeah. And so it's a pot. It's a podcast by two women, and they only have female guests on. Um, and I just feel like if you if you like us, you'll like them. Like it's very irreverent. There's lots of cursing, and they don't give a shit, and they're just unapologetically who they are. And they always have really neat guests on, female politicians, just talking about really what's going on in the United States. But just a lot of issues that even if you aren't necessarily like following the policies of the United States, I feel like a lot of these things that they're talking about with these brilliant, strong, educated, amazing women from great causes, like it's a lot of stuff like. Civil rights are being rolled back in every country, right? Now. Mm, um, we are. It's we so are true. In a very bizarre season where a lot of like women in marginalized groups are going back in time. Yes. Um, so and hopefully it's the last. I mean, I've, we've said it before. Like, hopefully it's the last gasp of the white supremacy, and 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 we're going to be able to move forward from this and evolve as a as a race. But we'll as see. a single human race. As a single. That's what I mean. Single human race. That's all there is. There's just that one. Pretend like there's not, but we're all we're all equal. We're all in this together. I have to say as well, if you have young kids, like we have young kids, there's a great book called Let's Talk About Race, which sounds really really heavy from the title, but it is such a great book. And the first of all, the illustrations are amazing. They're super fun. It's a great story. It's a very serious story, but it's it's talking. It's by Julius Lester. It's talk. It talks to kids in such a great way about how we're all the same under our skin and you take off your skin, I'll take off my skin, which my son, who's coming up to be five, loves the idea of taking skin off. Like he's so grimly into it. So he's like, he always says to me, mama, read the book about taking off our skin because that's the kind of thing he's into. But it just, it talks about stories that people tell each other about their race and whether those some stories are true and some stories are not true and it's kind of it's, it's just a really wonderful book and i would i cannot recommend it more it's a fantastic book but that's um that's all otherwise we'll be gooding until midnight so that's my last what's good and your what's good was amazing I, I will oh, be yeah, listening no, to Syria. Yeah. They're so funny and they're so smart and um, just very well educated, but also it's not a, it's not a, a drudge. It's an easy listen. Good. But All right. So they educate you and like they have. Oh, know, I love that. Doing, yeah. It's very educational, but it's also super funny and they just don't give a shit. And I love women that are unabashedly themselves. Oh, it's so rare and it's so awesome and I love it. Okay. So with that, follow us on our socials at Patriarchy Pod. That's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter is Patriarchy underscore pod. Email us your thoughts, questions, rants, victories, triumphs, wishes, hopes, and dreams at patriarchypod at gmail.com. And like and subscribe to the podcast. We are having some great growth and you know as we hope to 
make this our full-time thing uh the more we grow and the more you can share with like-minded folks uh we would super duper appreciate that amen okay party and with that we say we say live light and good night good night